Hi, this is Michelle with Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. If you're here today, it's because you have a loved one who is addicted to drugs or alcohol and you need support. You aren't alone. You're safe here. And today I have the author of the book Throws with us, um, Sandy Heiglin, and she is um, has used her pen name for her book throws a transformational uh, no i'm sorry a transform transformative terrible and um, her uh, pen name is mary delore and sandy is a nurse consultant who works with attorneys as an expert witness in abuse cases and geriatric i guess nursing home types of um, incidences and so on. But um, welcome, Sandy, and we're going to be talking about your book today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm glad to be here, and, and you pronounce my name Higgelin, Sandy Higgelin. Oh. oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, oh, my no gosh, problem. I thought I... I thought I had it right, but I, yeah, with That's my okay. last name, That's okay, nobody ever gets it right. <laughs> so. Well, when we order a pizza, I just tell them my last name is Clark because it, who nobody can pronounce 12 letters in my last name very correctly. Right. Anyway, but, <laughs> I got that. Same here. Excellent. Yes, okay. So, and tell us, um, tell me again, uh, Sandy, Mary was uh, chosen as your pen name because of your cousin who died yeah, of cancer? Yeah, she was my cousin and my best friend, and um, she passed away of breast cancer when she was 50. Um, wow. And I was kind of be, made myself her hospice nurse the last week of her life. Um, so I wanted to honor oh. her by making the first name in this book after her. And Dolore is after my mother, whose name was Dolores, and, of course, I wanted to honor her, too, because she was very supportive of me in in um, my whole life. And, of course, she passed away about 10 years ago. And um, Dolor actually is sorrow. Dolores is Our Lady of Sorrows. And so it just oh. seemed really appropriate to put her name as the last name of the book, of my pen name. Oh, gosh, this is great. And your story, you were motivated to write this because you've had a daughter who's been um, a substance use, had substance use disorder. And um, tell me a little bit about, like, what, why did you, this this book is in a parable, parable type of format where um, you talk about a, a woman, Mariah, and then you share um, questions at the back of each chapter that um, people can journal and and be reflective. And so um, what prompted you to write this book, and, and when did you get the idea? Uh, well, my daughter um, got into drugs at 15, and she's now 37, and she's still addicted to drugs. And through the years of dealing with this drug addiction and this roller coaster ride that we all are on when we have a child that's addicted to drugs, I decided about five years ago 
that, you know, enough is enough, I can't do this anymore. And I, and many times over the years I would say, I need to write a book, I need to write a book, because some of the things you go through are so unbelievable. The lack of help for parents of love, you know, of their children that are drug addicted, their lack of resources out there to really help you deal with it, I found um, not acceptable. And I felt like by putting my journey in, into a book, which would also um, demonstrate ways to find your way off of that roller coaster ride and find peace in your life, could help others not have to go through the years of that um, utter despair you feel. So yes. I started writing the book about five years ago when I finally said, this is enough, I can't do this anymore. And did you find it to be therapeutic for you? Oh, definitely. It was very cathartic to write this book. And, of course, I've gone through many drafts of it um, to get it to the publication stage where it was actually not just a memoir, but it was something more of a self-help type of book. Um Yes, it, it it's a helped tool. me find yeah. peace, and it helped me go through the steps I needed, which I um, portray in the book, the guide is in the book, that I went through to get to where I am today. With and, and Peace and joy. I mean, my daughter, if she pings me now, I don't go into a state of panic and despair, like, oh, my God, here we go again. I don't do that anymore. I can step back and give it space so that I stay peaceful in the chaos. So in writing the book, it's kind of like what my tennis coach used to say all the time, take your own medicine. It's like when when we want to help others who are going where we have been and we look for solutions and we look for those things out there that don't exist and we create them, it's like, it's therapeutic for us too because it's kind of like we have to read where we were and where we are now and really look at that introspectively and grow from it. So would you do you think that when you first started writing the book you weren't as healthy as you are now since you've written it? Oh, definitely not. I mean, the first story in the book describes an incident where um, Mary goes to an airport and t- her daughter's supposed to be landing on the plane with a ba- with her daughter, her granddaughter, and um, does she doesn't get off the plane. So there I, there she stands, just in despair, all lost hope again, again and again, loss of hope, and. Mary goes home with that, and at that point she's not healthy. She's sad, she's hurt, she's angry, and there's no peace in her heart, no empathy, no forgiveness. But going through the motions of trying to figure out what, why do I keep, you know, why does Mary keep falling for the same old lines that the beast offers her? Why does she stay on this roller coaster ride over and over again just to fall down into the pit of hell on one of those downward, um, you know, curves of the roller coaster. And um, 
and in doing so, she goes through pictures of when it all started with her marriage and then the subsequently having children, adopting children, which Amanda was adopted, or Mariah, my daughter, was adopted. So that's kind of what the story goes through. And, yeah, it was the process of that. And then using the steps that I put out in the um, book to use your own brain and the moldability of your own brain, which is neuroplasticity and metacognition, to get control of your own nervous system. Because it's getting control of that nervous system. You have to do that before you can um, change your thoughts. You change your thoughts, change your life. And it was that process that helped me get to this point. So in the book, do you um, talk about what neuroplasticity and metacognition is from like a story point of view and then a journal point of view? Uh, Well, you know, it's the process. There's questions after each chapter that help you become the observer of your thoughts while you're reading the book. And... uh, um, of course, you know, when, when we first are appearing up against addiction, what what you have to identify that first as a parent, the aberrant behaviors, the personality changes that occur in, these, in your child, vicious language, angry outbursts, or on the other side of the coin, they can be overly friendly, doing everything they're supposed to be doing. It's, it's like a dual personality, split personality kind of um, behaviors that you can see lying, stealing, manipulation, all these things you have to identify as what you're encountering with with the beast of addiction. And then you have to deal with your own internal beast, which is guilt, loss, your fear that they're going to be out on the street, your fear they're going to die on the street. You have so much anxiety every time the phone rings, you jump out of your skin. You question yourself, what are you doing wrong what should I have done? Didn't I? Wasn't I there enough? Things like that. And, oh, sure. And then you start questioning if you're a good mom or dad. You have to deal with those battles within the person, your your child that you're encountering, and within yourself. And then, of course, the other part of it is we're dealing with this giant, powerful drug distribution business. There's drugs oh. on every corner. In the schools, I know. everywhere you turn around, it's bigger than Walmart and Amazon. And the peer pressure out there to try and use, you're, we're also fighting against that. Oh, I know. Um, it's, and you it's have tough. to identify all those things within yourself and the reality of the situation before you can start really working on yourself. Healing, yeah, healing. Um So Sandy's title throws a transformative parable, an epic journey into darkness and discovery of transcendence. Man, I'm having trouble talking today. And um, what, when I went to Amazon page, so um, just so moms, if you want to um, find her book, it's it's definitely at Amazon. um, And I'm sure it's at some other places. We'll share that here in a minute. But um, I started reading the reviews, and oh my goodness, um, 
so many people. So one lady, this book truly lets the reader understand how a mother's love gives her the strength to do everything in her power to help her child navigate a difficult life issue. Um, This person said, I could relate on so many levels. Your journey was painful, but your insight gave clarity to so much we codependent struggle with. Um, and then when I was reading the reviews, I, I and Sandy said I could share this with you. Mariah is the character in her book, and um, she she used a pen name to fictionalize the story, but so much of it is based on just some of her experiences. And because Amanda, her daughter, is um, has been like she said. Um, in the throes of this beast. And so I found a review from her daughter here, and I just ached. I just ached for her daughter because it's it's so obvious that she's still struggling, that there's, with, with addicted loved ones, they're so full of shame and regret and still defensive. And it was just another point of reference to say, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't end. Our son and daughter-in-law are 17 months into recovery. And yesterday he said, one of the guys that was with me for a whole year, where I rehabbed, where I lived in sober living, lost his life yesterday. And, you know, oh, so he, yeah. And so, and I said, well, how are you? Because part of me was like, well, you know, he was so upset. He said, well, it's just another reminder of how close this is, how difficult this is. And I thought, oh, I guess I forget that it's still difficult for him. Even because I think, oh, he's 17 months. He's doing so well. It's all behind him. And, and that was just another reminder and then reading the review from your daughter, it's like, you know, it's a lifelong thing. And it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's not like, I, what I notice in our Facebook group is that some moms are like, okay, my child went to recover, recovery, rehab for 30 days. He's well now. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No, that's not how it, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I mean, we, we hope it does, but anyway, I'm going off. Um, yeah, thirty but, days usually isn't long enough. <laughs> no, thirty. You know, when I I read my daughter's review, and um, it it saddens me that she's still in the grips of the beast. Um, it demonstrates how much control this beast has over the child you once knew. Um, did it rip me apart to read it? No, I kind of expected. I didn't know she read it. Somebody told me it was there. Um, before I read it, and it just, you know, it didn't rip me apart. It doesn't disturb my peace anymore because it's not my daughter. It's the beast is talking. Well, And the saving grace to me is the reviews demonstrate to me one of the things that I wanted to do through this parable, fictionalizing things, using other people's experience, to you know, co-mingle with mine. She's a Mariah's an archetype for all addicts. I didn't want it to be a book where oh look what this girl did to her mother, you know, or her no. family. 
I wanted it, that's why I emphasize it's a beast all the way through it, because people recognize that it's a beast in control here. It's not her. And they're saddened by it. They pray for her. They're saddened by her life. So, you know, it's not a bashing. They don't take it as a bashing in the reviews. So that's the saving grace to me with that, is I obviously came across too, as I wanted to, that exactly. this is not your daughter. This being no. is a whole different person, personality within, and your daughter or your son is buried deep down somewhere else. Um, and yeah. you have to grieve the loss of part of moving on and being able to let go and being able to take care of yourself and find peace and joy in your life, even with all this going on. Um is you you have to realize this. You have to identify that this is a beast. It's not your daughter. It's not your son. And you have to grieve them using Keebler-Ross's stages of death and dying because it is like a death. It's a death of your hopes and and wants for that person's life, for that the unconditional love you know that you share as a mother and a daughter or a mother and a son. It's not there. And you have to grieve that loss before you can move on and and identify this person as as a different entity. So you just mentioned Keebler, Keebler Ross's um, grief. Am I saying that right, that name? Yeah, Keebler Ross. I think that's or the Kubler Ross. <laughs> I might be pronouncing Kubler? it wrong. It's a very okay. well-known um, woman who wrote, the stages of death and dying, and might be Kubler Ross. Anyway, um, okay, stages of death and dying. I'm going to look that up because I, I mean, and and I've heard this from so many other moms. Our children are still alive in their body, but but they, it's like they're possessed by, like you said, the beast or the demon or whatever. And that piece of our child who we raised, who we love, is it, it's like it's hidden inside there. It's like they're possessed and they don't have any, a whole lot of resemblance to the person that we once, once knew. Um, there's something, there's something, um, you you share this in the book. The definition of empathy at its deepest level is the ability to explain and emotionally connect to another person's point of view so well you can explain it better than they can. Try to empathize with the beast. How does that feel? Well, and, it's very hard to empathize with the beast because the beast is all about getting the drugs. They could care less about you or your life. They may have, you know, openings of thought here and there where they feel bad, but that's usually when they're not, you know, high at the time and they they may feel, oh, look what I'm doing, but immediately go back to being the beast. So my answer to that is, you know, it's it's what the way you empathize with the beast is you now can identify that when the beast is engaged in these very aberrant behaviors against you, um, that you're not dealing with your child. You're dealing with this beast who has no control over decision-making. 
or good decision making. Their decision, the beast decisions, is all made around how do I satisfy what the beast wants, and that is um, the drug. They become very sociopathic. No regret, no remorse, no um, right, no empathy themselves for what they're doing to you. You know, no sorrow about well, it while they're in the grips of the beast. So the empathy is more for your child who's out of control, who's hidden inside right. that. So, yeah, and that's hard. It's really hard to di- differentiate sometimes because I hear moms say that they absolutely loathe their child, and I'm like, please, no, you know, loathe, loathe the beast, not yeah. hate the beast, not not your child. And your daughter writes here. Um, there's two sides to every story, and even though I'm a drug addict, she admits that she still is. I'm still a person, mm-hmm. and um, it, and it's interesting how she says two sides, and I mm-hmm. feel like there are two sides of a drug. Um, some, I, and sometimes I struggle with saying drug addict because it sounds so derogatory, um, but somebody with a substance use disorder, right? Um, they are still a person, but it's like who they are is is two sided, and they. Well, it's like a split they, personality. However, yeah. you know, while they're in the throes of addiction, you don't get very many glimpses of that child that that was once there. It's not until right. they can decide for themselves that you know I can't live this way anymore that I want to be that person again I want that relationship with my family um that I can't have because of the drugs that I'm consumed in um it's not until they do that for themselves and and go through a recovery which is a lot longer than 30 days um because it's neuroplasticity that changes their brain it's that moldability of the brain and these drugs just, the drugs, it's proven that they cause changes in your brain function and in that side of your brain that makes good decisions, that, that's uh, your impulse control. All of those things are changed. And it does, you know, with the opioids and um, crack cocaine, those kind of drugs, it doesn't take very long for that to happen. And then they get into the self-talk, you know, the beast is in control, oh, your mother's a bad person. I mean, all this stuff is going on in the brain. And it's that same moldability of the brain that can bring them out of it. But it takes, in studies that they've done, to see these brain changes where it's back to more normal, it's almost a year of abstinence and cognitive therapy Medicog, you know, help with mindfulness, awareness, and positive talk to remold Ooh. that brain to where they now can have control over decision making, over impulse control, and it's something they're going to have to work on the rest of their life. It's that same neuroplasticity and metacognition that the book talks about that guides you through how to do it, that helps you change your thoughts and processes right. on how you want to deal with this beast, you know, and to find and peace and joy. I I think that, you know, when I first started on my journey, um, I used, you know, I used to hear people say, well, addiction is a family disease and you need to get help. And I used to be really angry about that and think, yeah. what, this isn't my thing. I, I don't need 
I didn't do anything. I was very defensive. And I think it, you know, for me, I I can't say it was just one day, but all of a sudden you realize, oh, my goodness, I am in the throes of this. For me Mm -hmm. to say that I'm not affected is I'm delusional. I need to get in recovery, but my recovery is different. But those, like you said, retraining your thoughts, Mm -hmm. even though my brain isn't compromised by substances, um, the trauma of of grieving and and being in the throes of the chaos, you know, your your minds just go always to the wrong place. And I remember right. when Ryan was er, early in his recovery, after just the first thirty days, he would recite to himself, first thoughts are wrong, first thoughts are wrong," because he was taught, you know, um, to to try to curtail his impulsivity mm-hmm. and or and stop himself so that you know he could change his thoughts right but the very first one he had to learn was oh my goodness my first thoughts are wrong because he would say my brain lies to me like he right. he would exactly say that right. yeah yeah i remember this exactly and right. And all of this um, is metacognition. It's the metacognition is thinking about thinking. It's an yeah. easy way to put it. Thinking about thinking, and it, you know, and it goes back to ancient wisdom, Proverbs twenty-three, seven: "As a man thinketh, so he is." Oh yes, <laughs> philosopher. Good for you. Oh, Wait, that <laughs> we become what, what is, we think about. Another proverb. Um, right. Napoleon Hill, thoughts are things and powerful ones at that. Yes, I Uh, I say to my grandkids. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Well done. So it's been, this wisdom's been out there for a long time. It's thinking about thinking. And you become observer, you know, you step out of the Curious. reaction, this happened to me and this is how I'm reacting it to it as the ego, the ego level, right. which is fight yeah. or flight, you know, oh, I've got to defend right. myself kind of thinking, where you take, your, you take steps back from that, but you put space between the stimulus and the response, and you become an observer of your thoughts. And then you decide from a much less, uh, you know, you get control of your nervous system, as I say, and decide, well, is this really true? Is this really real? this is so powerful. Yep, it's in my book, too. And how do I want to respond to this? Do I want to respond to it with anger and fear and resentment and live in that state? You know, that's kind of the steps you take. You reframe your ordeal and you find a new empowering light using your own mm-hmm. life experiences to do that. Reframe and, does it happen and overnight empower. Is it constant working on it, but it becomes more natural as as the more you work on it. We we had a um, guest on our in our support group last night, and that's kind of why I write in a parable for him. I think you had asked me that, but for some reason we didn't get back to it. Um, okay. You know, because the Bible and a lot of ancient wisdoms, they teach in parable forms. And they teach because the stories are easy to remember. We all remember Bible stories where Jesus is teaching. 
Yes. And then we I can relate it. to the characters in the parable because they show us various parts of our own experiences, especially moms with drug addicts, addicted children. If they read throws, they're going to find stories in there that are the same as their own. And it, and then you feel that pain and the that uh, post-traumatic stress that can come with um, all of this. Well done. Yeah, and, you know, um, there's layers of wisdom in parables when you read them to help so, you. In so, in that, that's what life. you say. Like the, the questions at the end of each chapter, the steps I put they, out in throws can be used in many different areas of your life. It doesn't have to just be drug addiction. It'll actually help right. with other relationship issues you may have. Well, it trains you how to think about your thoughts in a story Hello? and oh, oh no. can can you I'm hear me sorry are you there i am i'm going to call you back because if you can hear me my phone is acting up again and i apologize no i can hear you okay well we will stay tuned and have sandy come back again in the meantime um Please feel free to find her book on Amazon, probably Barnes & Noble, although I'm not sure. It's called Throws, A Transformative Parable, and Mary Delore, Mary Delore, um, and it's in paperback and hardcover. I know it's an ebook format, but I don't see it ebook format at um, Amazon just yet, but I'm sure it will be there. And um, we welcome you to find that and um, hope that your journey is um, better or maybe um, you find some peace on your journey after reading um, Sandy's book. And please, if you benefit from this podcast, leave us a review. And if you haven't downloaded my book, Mom's Letting Go, uh, feel free to do that, momsletting go dot com. Take care. God bless.